Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Going into this past weekend, Samuel Gold posted his latest episode of Sam's Film Room focusing on DK Metcalf. He joins us on the show today to talk about it, as well as the latest news from around the NFL. Sam, I know we're still a few weeks off from the season, and who knows if we'll get a normal preseason, but I'm ready, I'm hopeful, and I'm optimistic, all those things at once, that they're going to work out. Yeah, man, I feel you. And man, fingers crossed that we actually do get a full season. And even if they cut out preseason games, I'm all for it as long as we get to protect that season. Yeah. And and then, I mean, even if we if we don't have preseason games, at least we'll have guys you know doing uh, interviews uh, with media. You know, maybe it's not in person, but maybe they're still doing the Skype interviews. I, I just I'll feel that much more connected uh, if, if we're at least, you know, having player interviews as part of training camp. And I, and, and I feel I feel like once we start hearing those interviews, once we start seeing just even just the photos from even bit, just basic walkthroughs, it just gets you really excited again, just to, just for everything to restart. Yes. And, and that August always seems to go by fast. So I it, just to be that much closer to August, I'm fired up and I, I'm fired up to talk football with you today, Sam, because we had some big news on Monday, uh, not Seahawks news, but just NFL wide news as Patrick Mahomes agrees to a 10 year contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's upward of $400 million. So this is a a pretty impressive deal for a pretty impressive quarterback. Yeah, it's I I'm blown away by it. And it's it's kind of crazy to to think about that. Anybody a would be willing to sign a 10 year contract, considering that we don't know what the league's going to look like in a couple years. And, And at that point, you know, you have the guys like the Kirk Cousinses or those or Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott who want a three or four or five year deals so that they can just get another contract later on. And then you have Mahomes that just says, screw it. I'm in Kansas City for the rest of my life. He's on he's on the books for 12 years and upwards. Yeah, as you said, you combine everything together with this rookie deal, like $500 million or something like that. It's it's crazy. I just, I can't believe it. It, it was pretty shocking. And it does make you wonder because, you know, with so many quarterbacks, like we see Russell Wilson sign in four-year extensions and, you know, some of these other quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, it sounds like he's only trying to get a three-year deal. You know, how much money are would Mahomes be leaving on the table being the caliber of quarterback he is? But at the same time, maybe he looks at that and says, you know, it's enough for me to be uh, breaking deals that we haven't even seen in Major League Baseball and doing it on the football field to be able to to stand out that way. And then maybe on the back end, he's he's looking at it long term as being able to where the Chiefs can manage his cap long term. It sounds like his salary isn't going to be set to, uh, you know, tied into the salary cap at all. So this could be a really good deal for the Chiefs. And long term with Mahomes, he could be looking at winning titles versus trying to make the most money out of all the quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's and that's something that kind of blows my mind is that it's just it's just being willing to take that deal and knowing that you're potentially leaving money on the field. But I mean, if, if you look at his contract, at least at least from what I've seen, he has something like $200 million in guarantees. And, th- and then a lot of that's protected just due to injury. So I, I, don't, I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's, it's, it's already really, really high. So it's, I mean, the guy, the guy's obviously set for life. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure when, when you're like a, a kid going to a school in Lubbock and playing for Texas Tech, you're not thinking about half a billion dollars. I mean, you're probably just thinking, oh, I just want to make it. And now he's thinking MVP Super Bowls and now half a billion dollars and I don't know. Maybe he'll get a stake of the Chiefs franchise and the next time he does this. Who knows? It's tough to even think of a guy making it through that long of a contract. And I mean, even when we see guys who sign six year deals who 
three and four years into the deal are saying, hey, wait a second, everybody else is making more money than me. And I'm still, you know, one of the top players. I I think of Julio Jones with the Falcons, right? You know, he signed a a long term deal. And I feel like every offseason we're hearing about how he's going to sit out because he's not paid like one of the top three receivers in the league. Yeah. And and, and that's just the crazy part is that, I mean, in, in, in five years, it's likely that Mahomes will will be just be a top five, top six just in terms of payment. And, and and maybe he might come back to this to today and be like, all right, well, maybe I should have only signed for four years or five years or six years and kind of built those contingencies in. And I I wonder how they got to that point where they said, all right, let's do 10 years and let's get this done versus why not four years? Why not? Or like, why not just five years like the like the Dak Prescott deal or or or, or the supposed supposed deal that might come out where, you know, it's that it, he's on those books until he's until he's 30. And that way that he can just sign that new deal when the league is, is going to keep crushing and keep making more money. Yeah. If Russell Wilson wants to play until 45, how about we see a 14 year extension now? And uh, and let's let's lock him in as a Seahawk for life. Yeah, I don't at this point. Let's just let's just do it. You know, why not? <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, I do want to talk DK Metcalf. You put a video up at fieldgoals.com here just going into the holiday weekend, and I cannot get enough DK Metcalf. So this was this was great going into the weekend, and I want to go back just to remind people of how how it came to be that he even ended up in Seattle because leading up to the draft last year, this was a guy who was getting a lot of attention. And there were some concerns. I feel like the biggest question mark with him was injury concerns. And I remember talking to Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com about how he thought he didn't think that uh, that Metcalf would go in the first round because of injury concerns and that maybe he was a little bit more focused on the business side of football versus being uh, dialed in toward playing. And people, you know, kind of pushed back on the idea that he wouldn't last outside of the the first round because people were talking about him being a top 10 pick. And then ultimately he gets taken with the very last pick of the second round. And it's just incredible that, that he fell that far, but I, there, I mean, there were some valid concerns, right? Yeah. I mean, 100%, you can, you can look over his history at Ole Miss and you can say, all right, he had problems with agility, which everybody seems to point to with this three cone time. Right. Uh, he only ran a handful of routes, slants, hitches, and fades, which is as we've already kind of talked about. My videos up on fieldgoals.com, um, where I kind of broke down each of those routes and how he runs them, and that makes up sixty percent of his targets. And then, just in general, it's just it didn't seem like he was overall fully developed in terms of his hands and pairing his hands and his footwork in terms of just how he runs his routes uh, outside of those. Like with other receivers, you see them kind of master a dig. You see them kind of master um, the drag in order to push up and then push back. You then see other receivers just have this kind of innate ability to run kind of the full gambit of routes, including things like double moves. And in college, I mean, honestly, I didn't really like 80% of those routes that he ran. The the routes that I loved from him were, was the the fade, the back shoulder fade, and I liked the slant, and that was pretty much it. And I liked seeing him in space. So so th- so maybe you can add in this, the drag to that then also. Yeah. But you look at his other routes back at Ole Miss, and they they just weren't the greatest because he just didn't master the subtlety of the footwork. Um, he ran a lot of his fade routes like he was kind of like running as a speedster instead of a six foot four monster who weighs 
230 pounds. <laughs> like it's, it's, it felt like an identity issue along with a technique issue. And I feel like he's coming into his own now. And it's, it feels like he's coming into his own as this X receiver. And, and maybe it all it took was playing alongside a guy like Tyler Lockett, who's going to be like, come on, man, like, you're just like a big dude play that way. And maybe that's all it took. And I, and I don't know from, from my standpoint, just what really, really impresses me is that it's just, you can see the level of trust that he has with Russell Wilson, just even from the first game, they were running back shoulder fades in the first game of the season. Wasn't he even dealing with kind of like injury issues coming even into the season? Yeah, we didn't see just, him just, really at all in the preseason. And the the throw that I think yeah. about that involves so much trust was in that Bengals game where Russell Wilson scrambles around and, and DK Metcalf starts uh, heading downfield. And even, you know, with the corner trailing and the safety coming over, you know, Russell just lobs him a, a perfect pass and, and Metcalf gets up and flexes. And it was, you know, it was at that point. I felt like all of this offseason, because he was still hyped throughout the offseason, even despite falling all the way to the end of the second round. I felt like fans were maybe even overhyping him going into the season. And in that offseason, I just remember trying to to dial people back a little bit and saying, you know, this is his first year. There are these valid criticisms of his route running. Let's let's not go expecting him to break off a thousand yard season in in his first season with the Seahawks. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's, I, I had that same, I had the same kind of uh, conversations where I said, you know, may, maybe, maybe he plays for, and, and I hate, I hate bringing up injury concerns and I hate being that guy. And I was like, I was like, maybe he plays for 12 games in the season. May, maybe he averages, I don't know, 50 yards a game. And so he gets you five, 600 yards. And honestly, for a second round player who plays a very, very specific role in this offense, like that would have been a decent year. Absolutely. And and th- and then you see him hitting 900 yards and he's just a focal point and 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 you see and and I look and I look and this is something I pointed out in my video is that week 3 against the Saints, Marshawn Lattimore covered him. Mm-hmm. The best cornerback on that team covered him. Week 16 against the Cardinals, Patrick Peterson followed him around the field and covered him. You can already see the respect that he has just based on game plans where defensive coaches are scared of him. And and he has that ability to create those monster plays. And and when you're getting Patrick Peterson covering you, Patrick Peterson did shut him down for the entire game. I'll give him like, yeah, you have to be able to say right. that it's, it's, it's important to note that he still earned that respect. And I think he's only going to get better as, as another off season. And, and you can already see videos of him catching balls from Russell Wilson during, uh, even during this quarantine time. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. Well, and I do think that, you know, having that, that experience of being matched up on a guy like Patrick Peterson too is, is going to be what allows him to grow as a player. So I guess I wasn't as much concerned about the fact that he was shut down by Peterson. It was, it was more impressed by, mm-hmm. like you said, the fact that he was being followed around by Peterson. Exactly. No. And, and, and that's the point is that if you're, if you're already getting star coverage as a rookie, uh, that's, I mean, that's impressive. And it, and it wasn't even, yeah, it was, it was legit star coverage. They or the Seahawks uh, coaching staff, Brian Schottenheimer, he moved them around from the left to the right side and even to the slot. And Patrick Peterson pretty much followed him all over the place except for the slot, which is just the way that the Cardinals defense works with their outside cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when, when you're flipping a one star coverage to that point, it means that the other cornerback has to be comfortable with moving as well and taking the opposite guy. That's that's a determination before the game where they decide, hey, I'm going to take this guy left or right, and you have to be comfortable 
backpedaling and, and, and flipping your hips both directions in order to be able to do in order to be able to cover both their, both ways in all these routes. And and they agreed to that. So it's it's yeah, as 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 you said, it's less it's less about him not doing well in that game, because again, he was as god awful of a game as it probably could have been for him. Uh, but in terms of just demanding that respect in the beginning, uh, is is I think is gonna be key in getting that experience right now for his second season. That's key. Well, we've now touched on some of the biggest positive takeaways. After the break, let's come back and talk about some of the areas where Metcalf could improve and where Sam sees DK's potential ceiling as an NFL receiver. We'll get to that coming up next. Talking to Samuel Gold. Be sure and follow him on Twitter at Samuel R. Gold. Subscribe to his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Samuel Gold NFL. And before the break, we are talking issues and concerns about his route tree. Based on what you watched from last season, do you think he started to overcome some of that? I do think so. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think there are some points that he needs to fix, like he kind of drifts on his on his routes where he invites defensive backs back in the game. I think at times, I, th- I think for me, it's it's the fade route footwork that kind of gets me is that he still runs it like a speedster as opposed to running it with physically physically and just boxing people out and getting away with the, you know, like the veteran shoves at the top of your routes. He's, he still, he still needs to work on those to, to me. I started just seeing him to become more consistent overall with the little minor details of his stems and just how he pushed defenders around, even if it didn't come up all the time, like even, even against like in the bucks and week nine, you can look at it as in the Eagles game in the wild card. I mean, he was he was very very impressive, and I I saw a level of development in there that instantly makes him uh, a threat uh, at least to, at least to turn the corner uh, next season and, and produce even more if possible. Where do you see his ceiling as a receiver? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't I don't see him as a Julio Jones guy. I don't I don't just just because he's just I don't think he's he has that agility. Him him running it's, it's the one route that Julio Jones has mastered. It's called a blaze out. It looks people will call it uh, a post corner um, or a post out. And that's um, and and the, it's it's actually called a blaze out where what happens is that you're running you're, you're running straight down the field about eight to 12 yards. You then turn for your post and then you have to be able to drop your hips and be able to sprint back towards the sideline. And what happens is that you get into the blind spot of a cornerback who's bailing. And then once you drop your hips and turn, you can usually win back towards the sideline and be wide open. And but in order to execute that, you have to have uh, amazing hip flexibility. You have to have perfect ankle like like and like mobility in order to be able to drop your hips and turn that much. And watching DK try to run that route, and I only really saw him run run that route maybe like once or twice. Uh, it, it was awful, <laughs> and it, it was just something that his. I don't think his ceiling is that type of player, but he doesn't. You don't need to have that ceiling of that type of player. For for me, it's I, I I see him as a top ten to top twenty type guy. I'm not sure he'll ever be a top ten receiver in the NFL, and, and, and maybe in a year everyone will laugh at me for saying what I'm saying right now. I just just to me right now he seems like a ceiling of a top fifteen guy, but to me that's plenty good enough for this team and exactly the role that they needed him, especially opposite of a guy like Tyler Lockett. Well, and that's what you have to consider too. I mean, to be top 15, you have to be on a team that throws the ball one, you know, a lot 
And, you know, yeah. Julio being, you know, on the on the Falcons with Matt Ryan throwing to him, they throw the ball a lot. So uh, and he's you know really the guy, whereas you, you can still make the argument of whether the guy is Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. It's going to be one of the two. And and maybe it's just that they're <laughs> as long as they're both together on the team uh, they're you're going to find them splitting the uh, the throws between those two players until one starts to stand out more than the other. But, um, you know, one thing that you pointed out, too of areas where he could improve is the, uh, the number of drops. And it really stood out to me when you showed the graph of his drops per catchable passes mm. and comparing him to other players in the league that, you know, he would have to cut his drops essentially in half to be on the positive side of the average NFL receiver. Yeah. And that's exactly, exactly the, the takeaway that I had too, is that he had, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, eight, drops right. on 66 catchable targets and in order to be uh average uh that number would have to be a little over four on average so so basically get the number as you said in half down to four and i think that it's one of those things where he's made some spectacular plays and then he's made some horrible drops so to me it kind of comes down to uh, a level of concentration it comes down to what, what I consider is that uh, if the ball was outside his frame, he sometimes, I just don't think he has, he, he is the best at connecting his hands to his body in, in, in that kind of that mentality of uh, envisioning where the ball is and be able to fully extend and bring it back in. And, and to me, that's, that's where I see it is that that's just going to take time and practice, especially with a quarterback like Russell Wilson. And the thing is that you can look over some of his plays the Marshawn Lattimore play that we talked about earlier, uh, where he, I showed in the mid beginning of my video where Russell Wilson was scrambling around. It was the end of the second half, and he lobbed it up, and DK stretched out fully and took it to the ground. I mean, that's that's excellent concentration, and that's an amazing play. And and you don't expect a guy that can create this in, impressive, amazing plays to drop it as much as he does at this level. It's just something that he just has to work on. It's, that it's the routine passes that he needs to be able to bring in. That and the other thing that I that you pointed out that I'd kind of forgotten about a little bit were the fumbles last year. And you pointed out the yeah. one against the Ravens that was returned for a touchdown. I remember him fumbling, which I, the the one of him fumbling against the 49ers. And I think it was that week 10 victory where, yeah. uh, you know, he was just fighting hard for the goal line and got it knocked out. Uh, just uh, just ahead of the goal line. That was that was just him trying, I think, to be a little bit more competitive than than maybe he needed to be in that sense. And that one doesn't bother me as much. I, I don't remember quite when the third one was, but the Ravens one was bad. It was, uh, Vikings uh, Vikings week 13 was the other okay. one. So that one didn't uh, and I think, result in a loss, and I, I don't think. One, one of, yeah, one. Yeah, and it was like one of them was the pure. It just fell out of his hand. And that was like, I think that was the fluke one against the Ravens. And the Vikings one was very similar to the 49ers where um, it was just a, a hit while he's trying to fight for extra yards that just jarred it loose. Um, or honestly, I thought he was either down, down to the ground or close to it. So it was one of those things where a half a second later, if he held on to it, it would have been just completion. It was, it's, it's flukes so are two are flukes so, and one where it was yeah. really wet and uh, it slid exactly. out of his yeah. arms. And, and fumbles in general are, are, I tend to believe they're pretty fluky. And it's like, unless you can look at like quarterbacks, like I did it, I just recently just did a video on Daniel Jones and he had some fumbles that were him completely not knowing there was a defender near him. 
that blew him up and then the ball just goes flying left and right. So it was for that. It's like pocket, you can account it to pocket presence. Whereas something like with DK, man, I just, I, I, I hope it's a fluke and I just, I just hope we never see them again. Yeah. Definitely sounds like drops could, could be the, the more of the issue that to, to worry about. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Are there, are there anything else that you see in his game that are really keeping him from kind of being considered among those NFL elite receivers? I, I just, I looked at the graph and I saw just how ridiculous it was that Michael Thomas with twice as many catchable passes than, than DK uh, had yeah. almost and had two fewer drops. And that's yeah, it's 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 pretty insane that so, the best receivers are uh are are below that graph. You can DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, all those guys are definitely below the below the average line on that graph in my video. And when you get when you get to that point where you can be trusted and relied upon, uh I I I th- I think that is the next point is that if he didn't have those drops you're 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 looking at easily another hundred yards, and that's 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 a thousand yards on the season for a rookie. So I mean, it's obviously everybody will drop something, and it's 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 unfair to say that he he should never drop the ball because that's just realistically not going to happen. It's just like you said, cut cut them in half, and I'll be happy. Well, Sam, as the Seahawks go into this season, you know a lot of a lot has been made about Russell Wilson working out with Antonio Brown. A uh, lot's been made out of the fact that Josh Gordon's preparing to, you know, applying for reinstatement into the league and that kind of that depth would help Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Where do you how do you feel about where the Seahawks are at a wide receiver? I think overall, I think if they get Josh Gordon, I'll be happy. If they get him back, I'll be a lot happier mm. right now. I, I'm not it's it's definitely not a weakness because Metcalf and Lockett are both good. I'm just really worried about that third wide receiver spot is that if if and when they run uh, 11 personnel or three wide receivers, they they need another guy opposite um, or another guy to help out on the outside. And and Philip Dorsett, you know, he's 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 just a guy. And I I just I just don't have a I'm not going to say I, I don't respect him because that's not true. He's in the NFL. Of course, I respect him. It's, it's one of those things where it's he's, he's just not a guy that I want to rely upon unless I'm throwing it deep. Uh, and he's wide open. Yeah. If I'm going to be building my offense as the as the team currently stands, I'm going to be focusing more on 12 personnel and bringing in two tight ends uh, with Will Disley and Greg Olson. And I'm, I'm going to hope that Will Disley is healthy. I'm going to hope that Colby Parkinson recovers from that foot injury. I'm going to hope that Jacob Hollister, if he's still on the team in a month, who really knows? I don't really understand this situation with how he's getting paid three million dollars. It blows my mind. Uh, I'm 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 gonna run twelve personnel, and I'm I'm probably gonna probably gonna hammer it with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, and use the tight ends a lot more. And I I I feel like that's probably gonna be more of the ticket this year, just based on the current roster as it stands. As it stands with the roster, it definitely feels like that's where the strength of the team is versus uh, having three wide receivers on the field. Whether it's Philip Dorsett, whether it's David Moore. Even though they went out and got Dorsett, it, it does seem like another guy could fit in well there. And so, yeah, maybe if that's Josh Gordon, then uh, then that would help strengthen that group a little more. And to, to, me, to me, that's all it would take is that if you get Josh Gordon, that's that's a, a one through four that I could be very happy about. So it's to me, that's all it takes is just Josh Gordon coming back, because right now, David Moore as a three or four or even Freddie Swain, I think from Florida or wherever he's from. It's I just I just don't have a lot of faith in that spot. And if any injuries happen to Tyler or to DK and man, I'm going to knock on wood a thousand times right now. So that doesn't happen. Uh, 
I mean, the Seahawks are boned if that's the case. <laughs> it does put them in a tough spot. So uh, Samuel Gold of Field Goals, check out his video if you haven't already over the weekend. 11 or 12 minutes worth checking out and and really getting an idea of what those routes were that he ran well and some of the ways that uh, Metcalf could improve in the future. Just it's uh, it's amazing that going into his second year uh, that he has still so much upside and that that they really did get the production out of him that they did in his rookie season. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks once again, Sam, for coming on. If you haven't yet checked it out, hop on over to fieldgoals.com. Look for Sam's post with the headline Sam's Film Room. Also, the latest news about the Raiders making a contract offer to Jadevian Clowney and a closer look at Patrick Mahomes' record-setting contract extension. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can get every episode as soon as it's out at sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. I'm planning another episode for later this week. You're going to want to make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. So until then, go Hawks.